Welcome. Pull up a chair, fill your mug, get comfy, join us at the table for the most unusual tea party. Here's your host and graphologist, Teresa Abram. Welcome to a most unusual tea party and a most unusual episode. As usual, I'm Teresa Abram, your host, graphologist, and founder of Handwriting PI. What makes today's episode unusual is that I'm joined by Lena Rifkin, who is a graphologist and the vice president of the Southern California chapter of the American Handwriting Analysis Foundation. I met Lena when I heard her give a thought-provoking lecture on the art and handwriting of James Thurber, who was an American cartoonist and author. Now, in the last episode of The Tea Party, James Victoria, a visual designer and creative soul, was my guest, and he shared his handwriting as well as his philosophy on life. Now, today we're going to take just a quick look at James's writing, and then we are going to look at the writing and work of three other artists, being Claude Monet, Edward Hopper, and Cy Twombly. Now, as Lena has an MFA from the UC Irvine, as well as teaching at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art and Mount St. Mary's College, I thought she would be the perfect fit for an episode about artists and their writing. To see a sample of the writing with their artwork, remember to check out the corresponding YouTube video, which is released on Thursday. Now let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lena, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Teresa. This show embraces my twin passions, art and graphology. When I was studying art, I was always looking at the handwriting of artists and comparing it to their artwork. I found the handwriting and art intriguing and so interesting to see how visually and symbolically they were similar. Yes, it is. I agree. It opens up a whole new world when you look at their writing next to their work and so on. Really excited to share this episode with the viewers and the listeners. So if you're ready, let's get started, Lena. Yes. So we see the handwriting sample that James gave to me for the tea party. And that's what he does professionally is he creates these posters with his handwriting, um, amongst other things as well. And one of the things that I loved about receiving this sample from James is it is very similar to what he actually puts out there in the world as his art. And what that tells me is this is a person who isn't pretending. He isn't pretending to be somebody who he isn't. He isn't presenting to the world something that he doesn't actually believe in. There's a consistency there in his private handwriting that is reflected in his public work that he is so consistent in showing up as who he is, no matter what he's doing. Now, the other thing that I really, really, really liked about James is, is he had these little tented tees that it shows that he can be a little bit stubborn. So if he believes in something, he is going to believe in it. And he's not just going to go with the flow or, or go with what somebody else says, even if he doesn't believe in it. This is a man of principle. And uh, I think that's an interesting trait to see in his writing. So what, 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 do, you, what do you see in James's writing, Lena? Well, in addition, I love the simplicity of the letter formations and how economically he connects one letter to another, the speed, the action, and creativity. I think he's an inventive person. Each letter still sort of stands alone. They're very unique and original letter formations. And so I think he's self-motivated. I'm looking also at the justified left margin, which shows 
in in conjunction with everything else that I believe he's a rule follower, mm -hmm. you know, is there, and he's original um, and he's very uh, respectful of other people. Mm -hmm. He, there's a kind of flow here that to me is very peaceful, even though it's very quick and it's, you know, fast and uh, you can tell that he's driven. Uh, I think that he seeks harmony and peace around him. Uh, that he is a people person in many ways and mm -hmm. in connecting this to his graphics for his posters which are stunning graphics they're very economical there's a lack of wastefulness so that also applies to handwriting when we talk about simplification for the audience and uh, with his designs you see how he breaks things down to three to six words maybe and they're strong and this reminds me of a famous quote I would have written you a shorter letter if I had had the time you know because it takes an enormous amount of skill and time to achieve a visual statement that is clear and concise mm -hmm. exactly and you know the part about this too is it is it's clear it's concise he's using few words but he's also using his handwriting and you know the width of the stroke to help convey his message and, and i think that's how he's able to pare down his message is by using the handwriting to accentuate his words which is really what we're always looking at when we're talking mm -hmm. about graphology it's fascinating all right well thank you for that lena now let's take a look at the first artist that you brought to that you've brought along and that would be for monet I'm really excited to talk Monet with Lena. So why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about him and his artwork. Monet, as we know, is a famous French Impressionist painter. And I thought it was fun to see them all together because you can see striations of light in his handwriting and in his artwork. On the upper left is the painting Haystack at Giverny. He created a series of 25 paintings of the same stacks of hay. Monet was really not as intrigued with the haystacks as he was with how changing light virtually transformed the haystacks. There is a pastosity, a softness and doughiness in his paint application, similar to his handwriting, which looked as if he used a paintbrush. Now the term pastosity is an invented word, I have to tell you, that we use in graphology. And it was invented by a Hungarian graphologist, Clara Roman, which refers to a broad flow of ink that comes out that creates a very doughy look. And it looks like it almost like a glob of ink. And it's, it's a wonderful term because, you know, it is what it sounds like, pasta, doughy. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, I, I love the term pastosity. And, and when I see it, I get very excited in people's writing because now I know that this is somebody who really lives life through their senses. So if they see a flower, they are going to love the flower and appreciate the colors and the smell and the shape. And if they're eating food, they're the ones at the table that are doing the little happy dance and are loving the smells and the sight and the taste of it. They really are engaged in life through their senses. And that's what we see in his handwriting. And it almost looks, when you look at his handwriting and in the way he perhaps painted his paintings, that he may have used similar to a long pen hold where you hold the pen or the brush further back on the barrel. Mm -hmm. So below uh, is a water lily painting. And this is another painting of deep, rich colors. 
and a play of light. He created a series of about 250 water lilies and they depict his flower garden in Giverny. And I think it's important to know too that his water lilies were painted when he suffered from cataracts. So there is kind of, the blurriness of course was intentional but we there may have been a part played in his lack of 100% eyesight. And the reflection of the tree is as deeply felt as the lilies floating on the water, much like his handwriting, where the letters appear to float above the paper. So there's that three-dimensionality also. Um, and floating above the baseline is also someone who is the, very much their own person. They don't necessarily want to be told what to do. And they're an in-charge person of their own time and schedule. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say my first impression of his handwriting is that it's graphically strong and there's a lot of movement as you can see and uh, it's almost dreamlike and there is a sense of that blurriness as I mentioned when I referred to as talked about his water lilies. Very much it is it is like one of his paintings and I like how you refer to it to being like three three-dimensional because to me when I look at his writing my first impression the first time that I saw it I was like it looks like there is sunlight dancing across the page of writing. It's not static, it's not flat. There's a liveliness to it that does take it up and off the page. And I think it's amazing the way that he's created that effect just through the handwriting strokes. And he's stripped down those letters so that they're really simplified. And I think that's what adds to that effect of the sunlight, because now it's just, what is it that you need to see so that you get the, the idea of what I'm talking about and the letters that I'm writing without overdoing it? It's dynamic and it's elegant, yeah. forceful. And as you mentioned, the simplification, very quick thinker. Very. Also. So I'm looking at the, at the tea crossings, the beginning of his tea bars have a stabbing quality tending to thin out at the end of the stroke, which indicates sarcasm or impatience. What do you think? Yes, I, yeah, exactly. That is what that tells us. The thinning out towards the end shows that there is sarcasm or impatience. And in his case, definitely impatience. Like you mentioned, this is fast writing. And we know that because those forms, those letter forms strip down to the basics. And the faster you write, the more spaced out it's going to get. Um, and by spaced out, I just mean your letters, each individual letter is going to have a little bit more space and the space between your words gets extended. And that's one of the signs of a fast writer. So impatience, definitely, it is abounding in his handwriting. And as you mentioned something about the spacing, which is, mm -hmm. which is so dominant in his writing, one of the first things I noticed, uh, and Europeans have wider spaces. It indicates he prefers a comfortable distance between himself and other people, perhaps trepidatious, cautious, mm -hmm. and someone who's self-reliant and prefers working alone. Yes, right? The artist temp temperament, I'm tempted to say, just the idea that, no, just leave me in my space, let me do my thing, and uh, I'll come get you when I'm ready. Because I think there is indications here where he does like people, but he does want them, you know, to stay out of his space. And it'd be fun to see a signature with that. Right, yeah, and I was just gonna say, I've got his signature here, and that's where I really know that he's a people person in some degree, because we see that rightward trend of all his letters. They're all leaning to the right, which does show us this is a person who is kind, he's got empathy, his energy is directed towards other. So it's not like he's gonna be reclusive and standoffish, he is going to be wanting people, but on his own terms. He'll interact with them on his own terms. 
And it's fragmented too. And it looks, you could see the striations of light coming through. Now they're all downstrokes, which indicate self-protection and control. And again, look at the wide spacing. Yeah, yeah, we have that again. And just again, those forms are so stripped down. It's such a stylized way to write where it's so stripped down. And it reminds me of James's artwork where we were talking about how he stripped the words down and used uh, you know, the graphics of it to make his message stronger. And Claude Monet is doing much the same. He's stripping each letter down to the bare minimum, saying, how can I make this letter so you still know what it says? And it's with an economy of motion. It's fascinating. And it is, it is as if it's part of the work that he does because it's congruent with the handwriting, his yes, signature. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That is very congruent. You would definitely put that signature with this writing. Well, thank you, Lena. That was very informative. And I, I am just surprised. I had no idea that he had cataracts while he was doing the water lilies. That to me is really surprising and it makes a lot of sense. All right. So next up we have Edward Hopper. Lena, what would you like to tell us about Hopper. Well, Hopper was an American painter and a master of capturing urban isolation. So what we're looking at is an iconic painting of urban isolation called Nighthawks. The viewpoint is cinematic. So I feel as if I'm standing outside side the diner looking in. The window is the same shape as a movie screen. Unlike Monet's light source, Hopper's light source is very harsh and man-made and contrasts the dark night outside, further depressing the characters in the painting. Uh, the three customers in the diner are lost in their own thoughts. And as I look at the architecture, it's similar to his handwriting, you know, in strong horizontals and verticals, which almost overwhelms the people in the painting, an outward manifestation of the inner isolation. Mm. And I'm looking also on how he always, or most in most of his works, the, the characters are alone. There's an emotional, almost loneliness about the mood of the paintings. And they're beautifully painted. And in looking at his handwriting, you know, I see as the overall gestalt of his writing to be graphically strong and aggressive. Yeah. And, and looking more closely, we can see, you know, how he struggled in his relationships with people, or maybe I should say people had a hard time being in a relationship with him. <laughs> yes. I think that might be the accurate one. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of angles and uh, there's an aggressive rhythm to this and an illumination of superfluous, you know, strokes. So there's, in, in that sense, there's a form of simplification. It's muddy and sensual. And if you look at the T-bars, they do get thicker, opposite Monet's, which got thinner, um, which indicate a tendency towards anger and tactlessness. Mm -hmm. You know, the T-bars and the angles communicate that he may not have been a master of diplomacy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is a very diplomatic way of putting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. When I look at his writing, it really does convey somebody who probably would have been difficult to know and have as a friend. And mostly that's because what we have is a lot of tangled lines. And tangling of lines happens when the line, the first line of writing gets tangled up with the line of writing below. Mm -hmm. And we see that all the way through. He does it from the very first line right into the very end of it where he's tangling the first line with the line below. And that does show somebody who has a, a conflict of interests, meaning that 
he might forget about appointments. He might forget about a schedule. He might forget to do his laundry. He might forget to eat. These are the things that if you try to make plans with this person, he might forget about the plans because he's doing something else. There's a lack of that ability to really organize and maintain a basic routine, which would make it hard to know him, I think. Yes, and in addition, he got involved in many complicated relationships. The guiding image, the two opposing forces, which is the core personality, is that he is pushing people away and yet moving people towards him. Mm. And you can see that by the tall letters and the narrow middle zones and the crowded spatial relationships Very and much. the angles. You know, I, I really like what you said there. And there's two things that I liked about that, Lena, is the one you talked about, he did get involved in, in you know, different or interesting relationships or something. Um, complicated. complicated. We really see that because here we have three different spaces converging. This is three different words and they're all touching. So he's eliminated the space between two words, plus he's brought the word from above down to touch and they all intersect in one spot on the second line where we have a this convergence of everything, which does show there's complication there with a the relationship. The fact that he often connects his words or leaves very, very, very tiny space between words is very different from what we saw with Monet, who had big islands of space in between the words. So we know that he wants to have relationships with people. We know that he wants to form those connections with them. But again, like you were saying, Lena, there's a few prickly bits that might have made it a little difficult for him to actually establish those. And, and especially with his spiked peas. Especially with his spiked peas. Oh yes, that pugilistic pea is yes. very predominant. <laughs> very argumentative and a need for control. Yeah. Which you see throughout, because especially like, as you were mentioning with the space being very close, it's a need again to control all space. Yes, right. He's going to be the kind that's going to stand probably a little bit too close. It's going to be uncomfortable when you're talking to him because he doesn't respect your boundaries. So the tension that you see in his writing, which is tight, and you also see that in the painting, it's very mm -hmm. tightly painted. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very congruent. It is. Yeah. And you had mentioned, uh, you said core personality in that, you know, the dueling aspects of his personality are going on there are reflected very much in his painting. He's painting himself as the outsider looking in mm -hmm. and his writing would reflect there is that difficulty with those relationships that he wants to be a part of, but he's not. And he's not sure what's going on. And I feel like that's what this whole painting is about is like, he's the outsider looking in, we don't really know the context. He doesn't really know the context of why those people are there in the middle of the night. So it's, a, it's interesting. There's a mystery to it. There is a mystery, especially yeah. when I look at his handwriting to the painting, all of a sudden it's a whole new, I, yeah. I see it in a whole different light. Yes. Super fascinating one. Thank you, Lena, for bringing Edward Hopper to my attention. Oh. And now we'll get ready to go on to the third artist. Lena, what would you like to say about Sai? First of all, I would like to ask everyone if they can figure out which one is the actual letter. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. There's they all look very similar. Um, Cy Twombly was an American painter, photographer, and sculptor. And he was a private man who worked as a cryptologist for the military during World War II, which is really not a surprise because clearly his experiences with codes hidden in words influenced his art. On the far right is, a, is one of his series of paintings uh, called Cold Stream. 
And he did these rhythmic, what we call blackboard paintings, uh, considered many by many people as childlike, as you can see, because this is the way you learn in school, which he was mimicking when you were learning cursive. It resembles the repetitive exercises also commonly used in graphotherapy. And to me, it evokes automatic writing. Mm -hmm. You know, in both his paintings and writing, there is a powerful fluidity. There's an inner erupted stream of energy that I see in that. And the middle painting, which is called Letters of Re Resignation, is one of 38 drawings that he did. They're like intimate pages from a diary. You can see what his mood was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Not common, collected, and peaceful, and joyous. <laughs> no. <but> agitated. <laughs> if you told me that was called letter, you know, love letters, <laughs> it would be like, we have a problem here. <laughs> if this is your lover writing to you, you need to get out of that relationship. <laughs> Not healthy. So there, you know, there appears to be really a frenzied meaning deeply buried inside, you know, that was erased and written over yeah. with letters um, of his own private alphabet. And it appears, he appears frustrated with the weak space. This would be called crowded spatial relationships in graphology. <laughs> yes. you know? So it feels as if we could erase some of the top layers. You know, we would understand what he is urgently trying to tell us. So by using hidden code-like letters, you know, to me, it appears private and enigmatic, you know, in style. So it's as though um, his thought process has been given visual form, almost like a visual poem. Yes. You know, I see impulsive energy. I see angst, a total lack of control, like a primal need to communicate. Oh, I, I like that, that primal need to communicate because yeah. what this, this middle one in particular, the letters of resignation, to me, what that really represents um, is the primal aspect of writing. We write, we, we put words on paper to communicate. And ultimately we're trying to commit what, communicate what we feel. It's this primal need to communicate what we feel to another person. And what Sai has done is really stripped away the layers of civilization, the layers of schooling and, and, and learning to show at its heart writing. If we were to say, I am upset, I am angry. This is what our writing would look like. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's like our primal, handwriting script that's what we are looking at right there so I think that's a really interesting one and also when you were talking about the blackboard series and that series of circles it really reminds me actually of my mom who when she was growing up and going to school learning cursive writing was very very important and so they spent a lot of time learning cursive and it had to look a certain way and if you look at all of her siblings, they all wrote a very specific way. They all learned from the same teacher. It all looked very similar. They had little quirks, but overall it was very much the same, which leads into a whole nother discussion about how even at that time, females were expected to look and act a certain way and their handwriting reflected that. But the story here is that my mom, when she would start to feel that her handwriting wasn't looking the way she wanted it to or the way she was trained, is she would do these exercises page after page after page of these circles. And that's what I thought of right away is my mom learning her cursive and making it better again is just doing these circles over and over again. And then in that process, it probably brought down her blood pressure. Probably. <laughs> it would, <laughs> yeah. it would calm you down. It's, yes. it's, it really does stabilize you emotionally in some to repeat this motion. 
So when you look at size writing, what do you see in that? The first thing I see is a strong horizontal movement, you know, which is called right trend when, when everything is moving towards the right. Mm -hmm. You know, his letters are open and large with a fast and generous spacing. You know, he does use simplified strokes. Economy is important. Mm -hmm. You know, it's original. They're creative because it's his own way of writing. It's very natural writing. Um, what he does have here are called secondary threads because his, his handwriting is very loose. And the secondary threads indicate that he probably avoided conflicts. You know, when and how you achieve, as you can see for the audience, the secondary threads is in the middle of a word when, when some of the letters are blurry, undulating, you can't really decipher what they are. And, you know, sometimes it also means that someone loses their resilience. They can be evasive. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. There is that certain um, chameleon quality, right? Right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where you it's very gentle. It's very languid writing. You mm -hmm. know, it has a good sense of rhythm and it's moderately disconnected, you know, letters with very strong T-bar crossings. I think he worked very, very hard. He was highly intuitive because of the breaks in the, in the, the openness and the breaks. And there's some rounded formations. I definitely an emotional person, you know, was, his handwriting fills up the space and margins similar to his paintings. Uh, there's a wide stroked exuberance in his wrist. Uh, the slight variables indicate different slants, you know, indicate a mood change, which reflects in his art. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think out of, you know, compared especially to uh, Edward Hopper, this is a much more congenial writing. This is somebody who is going to get along with people. Um, he is definitely interested in people and is going to be open. There's a lot more balance there where he's not having the push and pull of wanting his isolation and wanting to be with people. I think he's mm -hmm. much more balanced in that regard. I also see signs of humor. This lead-in stroke on his M that is a little bit of a wave that's a sign of humor. So he would have a sense of humor. And I think when we look at his, his writing as well, I think there is a little bit of a humor there. There is, yes. even though it's very, you know, forceful, it, it's a little bit playful too. Yes, and conceptually, it has mm -hmm. humor. He used to piggyback on someone so he would be able to be high, to reach his high, high end of the <laughs> canvas to create the cursive. Oh, that would make, so it is, it is. There's that sense of humor and playfulness yeah. and that's yeah. that wavy lead into his M that we see there. What's also interesting, and I, and I saw it in James's as well and surprised me a little bit, was these D stems that have a loop. When anytime we see a loop in that it, where it shouldn't be, it's a container for emotion. So he's got it in his eight or his D's and he has it in a few of his T's as well where he creates that and that shows that there is a sensitivity to criticism which is the same as what we saw in James he had that same trait as well and so we know that he was a sensitive soul yes yeah. very very mm -hmm. and and preferred his alone time as well mm -hmm. to recoup his energy yeah and I, I like too how he you were you were commenting about I mean he fills that page when we think back to what we saw with James's writing, he kept a margin at the left-hand side and across the top, like a frame, whereas this one, he feels the page. So he is really about breaking out of the, he's, you know, he is doing his own thing. Even yes. though he's sensitive to criticism, he's still going to do his own thing. Super fascinating. For yeah, sure. it's, a mar it's just a marvelous connection here. And, and also with the other artists that we showed today between their art, you know, and in closing, you know, art is among other things, 
a visually expressed point of view, you know, an invitation to see our world through someone else's perspective. And each, each of these artists, you know, rich and complex personality lives on in their handwriting, which like a fingerprint is as unique and distinctive as the art they left behind. Oh, yes, that is beautiful, Lena. I so agree with you. And, and certainly for me, as we've worked through this, I mean, I had an idea of what I wanted to accomplish with this episode when I invited you on, but it really did open my eyes to seeing their artwork in a totally different way. Because no longer was it just sort of, you know, a piece of art with a lot of squiggles. Now I'm, I'm looking at it from what, what elements of the artist are infused in that. And it, it really has opened my eyes to see the pictures in a very different way. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening. If you're wanting to hear more from Teresa and her guests, be sure to subscribe on the platform of your choice and follow her on Instagram at handwriting underscore PI.